0: Good evening. How are you? Are you okay? You ready? (laughs) All right, turn to Mark chapter 10. Let me tell you two things while you're turning. This is my time to do uh, any announcement that's on my heart while you're turning pages. And uh, it depends on how fast you are, depends on how many announcements I'll give, you see. So uh, one thing I want to tell you is if you're from the 11 o'clock service and you came because I asked you last week to come... See me afterwards, and I'll give you $10, and I appreciate it very much. <laughs> Secondly, I just want to remind you as groups start this week. Fusion groups, life groups, mentoring groups, prayer groups. Please, please, please get in a group because that's the way we can grow when we have other people helping us on this earth. So, All right, we're in a series entitled Discovering the Divine. And what we're saying is we're looking at real-life, everyday encounters that Jesus had with people And we're seeing what we can discover about the divine or discover about God. It makes a difference what you believe about God. And it makes a difference how you think God is. If you think he's hard, if you think he's kind, if you think he's critical, if you think he's loving and compassionate. Whatever you think about God is going to determine your relationship with God. So what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus and people who had an actual encounter with Jesus who is God. And we're trying to discover more about the divine or more about God. Last week we looked at the leper. This week we're going to look at the rich young ruler. The reason that we call him the rich young ruler is because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this. All of them record it. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke they all record he was rich. Matthew records he was young and Luke records he was a ruler. So that's why we refer to him as the rich young ruler. Plus, I'm going to tell you later that some theologians believe they know who this was because there was a man who was referred to as the richest, youngest ruler that Israel ever had. And so we'll talk about that later. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one's good, but one that's God. You know, the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, what did the rich young ruler learn from his encounter with Jesus? Three things. Number one, he learned that good is not good enough. The first thing he learned is that good is not good enough. Now, let me show you this uh, two scriptures of this same passage in Matthew 19, verse 16. Now, behold, one came and said to him, now watch, watch the word good, good teacher. What good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life or have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. His focus was on being good enough. His focus was on doing enough good things to get to heaven. This is the way many, many people think today. This is the way many religions are. The more good things you do, you're, you're, uh, the better it is for you. And it's good for you to be able to do more good things than bad things. If you go and ask the typical person on the street, how do you get to heaven? They're going to answer by being good, right? By doing more good things than bad things. That is not the way you get to heaven. And that's why Jesus immediately responds the way he does. And he makes this statement, which a lot of people have misunderstood. He makes the statement, don't call me good. There's only one good. That's God. Now, all of us know that he's God. So why would he make that statement? The reason he makes that statement is because he's trying to let him know that there's only one good enough. And that's God. When you talk about being good, you can talk about it all day, but there's only one that's good and that's God. By the way, we get our word good from the word God. <laughs> the goodness or the, the goodness of God, God is good. And we get the literal English word good from the word God because we're trying to be, because He is good, but He's the only one. That's what Jesus said. Let me explain something to you. This rich young ruler runs up and Jesus said, let me tell you something. He says, what do I have to do to be a, you're a good teacher. And what do I have to do to what good thing do I have to do to go to heaven? Jesus said, Oh, hold on just a second. There's only one good. That's the first thing I want you to understand. There's only one good. And that's God. He's the only one good enough to live in heaven. He's the only one good is not good enough. No matter how good you are, it's not good enough. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do good. It doesn't mean we shouldn't teach our children to do good. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do good things. When you become a believer, you are saved to good works. You're not saved by good works. You're saved to good works. God does want us to do good things. But it's not good enough. We, we teach our children to be good. It's, it's amazing to me how children uh, rationalize. How good they are, you know, when they do something bad, they immediately uh, try to tell us what good thing they did. I I assume they get that from, yes, us. You know, I I remember saying one time to my son, it's a real life situation. I said, did you hit your sister? He was real young at the time. She was young. I said, did you hit your sister? He sat there for a minute. You know how they paused. They're trying to think. (laughs) He said... Yes, but in the stomach, not the mouth. <laughs> See, now that's good. See, in his mind, the, the, the mouth's bad, the stomach's good. It's okay, you know. I remember also, I, I had one uh, that always wanted to tell me something before he got a spanking. You ever have one like that? <laughs> yeah, but Daddy, Dad, can I tell you one thing? Can I tell you one thing, daddy? Can I tell you one thing? Before you spank me, let me tell you one thing, daddy. So I'd say to him, okay, you can tell me one thing. He'd say, I love you. I said, okay, now you're going to get spank. Wait, 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 Dad, let me tell one more thing. Let me tell one more thing. Let me tell one more thing. I said, okay, well, tell me one more thing. He said, I have $4 in my bank and you can have it if you don't spank me. Because I love you. And I want to hug you. I want to hug you all day, Daddy. That's the way we are. I know I've been bad. But I had not been that bad. Listen to me. One thing wrong, you're bad. You you, you you mess up at one point of the law, you've failed the whole law. One of the most amazing conversations years ago when Johnny Carson was doing the tonight show, he had Billy Graham on there and he said to Billy Graham, have you ever broken any of the commandments? Billy Graham's response was, I've broken them all. And just think about this. Adultery, murder. So I've broken them all. Of course, it shocked Johnny Carson, he said, what do you mean you broke them all? He said, the Bible says if you've broken one, you've broken them all. No one's good enough. You cannot be good enough to go to heaven. You have to rely on one who came to this earth that was good enough. It's the only way. Now, since this guy's thinking along the lines of being good enough, Jesus says, well, let's just go down that line then. Let's just go down the line that you're thinking of. He said, you know the commandments? And then he names the commandments. Now, here's the thing, though. I want you to just look at your Bibles for a minute and tell me how many commandments did he, did he list? How many commandments did Jesus list? Six. Are there six? I think there's ten, aren't there? I, I guess Jesus had been ministering all day and just forgot the other four. Or maybe it had been a long time since he wrote them, since he gave them to Moses. And he just couldn't quite pull them up at that moment. You know, sometimes I say you just can't remember something when you're trying to think of it. Maybe that's what it was. You think that's what happened? No. He purposefully named six. Why? Because the commandments are in two categories. The first four have to do with your relationship to God. The last six have to do with your relationship to others. Even Jesus himself summed up the Ten Commandments with two commandments. It's two categories. Jesus himself said, let me tell you, the whole law is love God and love others. That's the commandments right there. Love God and love others. So he only names the commandments that have to do with loving others and treating others correctly. Why? Because he could not have named the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. If he had named that one, the man could not have said, I've kept them all. Couldn't have said it. Why? Because Jesus knew exactly What he had that was before God, and that was his possessions, his money, his wealth. So he says, let me explain something to you. First thing, the first thing this guy learns from a personal encounter with God, remember Jesus is God. So he gets to personally talk to God. And he says, what good thing can I do to get to heaven? And his response is, God's response is, doesn't matter how much good you do, your good will never be good enough to get into heaven. Never. So that's the first thing that he learns. Second thing that he learns, he learned that God required total commitment. Now, this is a biggie. He learned immediately that God requires total commitments. Now, commitment. I wonder how this guy felt when he, the, the first thing that came out of Jesus' mouth. Here was the first thing that came out of his mouth. He said, you know, you know the commandments. He said, I've done them all. And then Jesus said, there's one more thing you need to do. Now, before he heard what the one thing was, he probably felt a little good, don't you think? (laughs) There's just one more thing you've got to do. Woo, just one more. (laughs) Just one. Okay, tell me what that one is. Just tell me what that one is. See, that's the way we are. Again, that's the way religion is. Religion is you do more good things than bad things. And by the way, please understand, every religion in the world, and the reason I say that is because Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with God. Every religion in the world is based on works. Christianity is based on grace. It's totally different. Totally different. So, one thing you lack. You understand how religion religion is. You do this, you can go to heaven. If you pray five times a day, you can go to heaven. If you visit this one city sometime in your lifetime, you can go to heaven. It's all about works. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, no, it's not about works. And if you want to know... What it is, let me tell you what it is. One thing you lack. Now, when he said one thing, the guy probably felt good. Then when he told him what it was, how do you think he felt? (laughs) One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have. You'll have treasure in heaven. Take up the cross, follow me. Now, I have a question for you. Would you give up everything to go to heaven? Of course, you're all going to say yes because we're in church. But let me get, let me do a better question. let me give you a better question. are you? Are you? not would you? Are you? every day? It is amazing to me that people who have given 100 percent to God can still gripe about 10 percent. Where are you? I'm going to go over here if y'all don't say something on this side. (laughs) Come on. Isn't it amazing that people that say, I've given everything to God. You want how much? (laughs) 10%. I'm not so sure that there's not going to be some people that think they're going to go to heaven that aren't going to go. I'm serious as I can be. I think there are people sitting here tonight in this service That you're not going to make it to heaven unless you change. Unless you're willing to give everything. Because God requires total commitment. That's what he told this guy. And can I tell you something? This is no different than he requires from anyone else. What he told that guy was the exact same thing that every person has to do to get saved. Now listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. Don't answer this question out loud because you're going to get it wrong. Okay, don't answer it out loud. Did he tell this guy to sell everything to go to heaven? No, he did not. It's not what he told him. He did not tell him he had to sell everything to go to heaven. Look at it again. Read it. Verse 21. You want to read it? Watch this. Then Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Here's what he's saying. You know how you get to heaven? You have to take up the cross and follow me. Now, what's keeping you, though, from taking up the cross and following me are your possessions. That's what's stopping you from doing this. The way you get to heaven is you take up the cross and follow me. But what is stopping you, sir, are your possessions. So you're going to have to get rid of whatever is stopping you from following Jesus with all your heart. And in this case, in this man's life, it was his possessions. Are are you following me? Every person gets saved the same way. Every person has to deny himself. And in this case, this man, the way he was to deny himself was through his possessions. But every person has to deny himself, take up his cross and follow. Look, look, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, if anyone, are you in anyone? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Listen, Selling everything was the easy part of this. Here's what Jesus said. Be willing to die an excruciating, horrible, painful death. And you can go to heaven. That that, that was more... Everyone knew what the cross represented then. Take up your cross and follow me. And I'm telling you, it's the same for every person. See, a lot of people say, Well, I'm glad I'm not the rich young ruler. Because that guy had to sell everything to go to heaven. No, every person has to be totally committed to God to go to heaven. God requires the same commitment out of every person, not just this one guy. He requires total commitment. God wants you to be totally committed to him, for him, and on him. Let me say that again. It is total commitment. He wants you to be totally committed to him, for him, and on him. He wants you to be totally committed on him. And by the way, he's a good one to be committed, uh, dependent upon. Let's say it that way. It's okay. In the world, you can try to depend on people, and, and they'll let you down every time. You can depend on God. He won't let you down. I, I think about this story. Um, Richard Daly, the mayor of Chicago, the old one, not the new one. The father that was elected in 56 or something like that. Uh, he gave all these great speeches, but a lot of people didn't know until later that uh, he never wrote one speech. He never even looked at it till he got up to say it. He had a great speechwriter. I mean, he had an awesome speechwriter. And one day the speechwriter came in because he was good, said, I'm doing a good job for you, and, and I deserve a raise. And Mayor Daly said to him, I, I'm not giving you a raise. He said, It ought to be enough for you to just work for a great American hero like me. Shortly after that, he was giving a speech. (laughs) He was speaking to veterans. This is true. He's speaking to veterans, and he said, I love veterans, and our country does not do enough for veterans, so I have come up with a 17 point plan to help veterans. Everyone leaned in, wondering what he was going to say. He was wondering what he was going to say. (laughs) He turned the page, and there the speechwriter had written, You're on your own, you great American hero. So you can't always be dependent upon people. <laughs> but you can be totally committed to God, and you can be totally committed on God, and you can be totally committed for God. That's what this guy learned. Here's what he learned. It's not good, I can't be good enough. And if I'm going to be a believer, I'm going to have to be totally committed. I'm going to, have to be totally committed. Here's my question are you totally committed? Are you totally committed? Here's the third thing that he learned. He learned that Jesus loved him. Just look over 17 through 22 that we read, Mark 10 there, and see if you see where I get that point. He learned Jesus loved him. A lot of people never see this. Never see it. It's verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, what does it say? Loved him. Loved him. Now, we know he loved him because the Bible says, and we know God loves everyone, but here's how we can also tell he loved him. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. He loved him enough to confront him in the area of his sin. He loved him enough to say to him, listen, there's only one way you go to heaven, and that's by being totally committed. But there's something that is stopping you from being totally committed. And I'll tell you what it is because I want you to be totally committed. You're coming up and you're very sincere and you want to know how to get to heaven. I'm going to tell you, the way you get to heaven is you take up your cross and you follow me. But there's one thing stopping you from taking up your cross and following me. Now, there's something real interesting about the story. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. The reason is because I think there's a lot of misconceptions. One is that he said he had to sell everything to get saved. He didn't. He said he had to sell everything to have treasure in heaven. He had to get saved the same way everyone else gets saved. Here's another misconception. The Bible doesn't say that he didn't do it. But that's our assumption. The Bible does not say that he did not do it. What all the Bible says is that he went away sad. You would too. (laughs) You'd have been sad also. But it doesn't say that he doesn't do it. I love this story because many theologians believe they know Who this man was. He comes up and he calls Jesus a word teacher. That a lot of people called him. But most called him a different word for teacher. He uses a specific word that another guy used. Many, many theologians believe that this was Nicodemus. Came to Jesus by night. Talk to him. Jesus said he got to be born again. No, he'd never heard Jimmy Carter, you know, say born again, Christian. That's for you older folks. (laughs) He never heard the term born again. He didn't know about it, but something happened to Nicodemus. In John chapter seven, he defends Jesus to the Sanhedrin, which by the way, he was later kicked out of the Sanhedrin because he became a believer in John 19. He shows up when Jesus died. He shows up with spices to embalm his body. There's something about Nicodemus that you might not know, though. He had a real famous brother. His name was Nicodemus ben Gorion. His brother's name was Josephus. He documented all the history of that time. Most famous historian of the day. And he talks about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the wealthiest man in all Israel. They said he had enough money to support the whole country for ten years. Wealthiest man. He was also the youngest Ruler that the Sanhedrin had ever had. And they actually referred to him as the richest, youngest ruler ever in Israel. That's the way they call him. So it's in documents. The richest, youngest ruler. Here's something else interesting about Nicodemus. Why so many theologians believe that he was this guy? Because he sold everything he had and he gave it to the poor. He spent the last 30 years of his life living with someone else because he had no money. None. He sold everything. When he showed up, at the, uh, you know who his fr- best friend was, by the way? Joseph of Arimathea. He shows up and he embalms the body of Jesus and he puts him in a tomb. Why didn't he put him in his own tomb? He's the richest man in Israel. He sold it. He didn't have a tomb. So he talked his friend into giving him his tomb. And, and, and it was a good deal because he only needed it three days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he got it back. <laughs> Barely used. <laughs> I can't wait to get to heaven to talk to Nicodemus. Because I really, I I don't know. No one knows. We don't know yet. But when you read the history about him, it's very possible that this man did sell everything he had. Because he wanted Jesus more. Now, he goes away sad because he had great possessions. And he didn't hear the next part. It's really important that we read the next part. Let's just keep reading in Mark 10. Verse 23. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Now, let's just stop for a minute. Why why would they be astonished at that? I I can tell you why. A lot of people don't realize this. Because they had riches. I mean, some of them were tax collectors. And even the fishermen, it says when he called them, it says they left their nets with their hired servants. Last time I checked, poor people don't have hired servants. So Jesus said, boy, it sure is hard for rich people to go to heaven. They said, hey, don't tell us that. And they're completely astonished. So he says, well, let me explain to you what I mean. Now watch how he explains it. It's very important that you see the next thing. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. For those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle... Than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished. Now at first they were astonished. Now they're greatly astonished. Saying among themselves. Well then who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them. It's very important. Said well with men it's impossible. But not with God. For with God all things are possible. Listen to what he's saying. It's impossible for you to save yourself. It's just totally impossible. And I, I've heard that you know. There was a, a gate in Jerusalem. Called the eye of a needle. And the camel got down real low. He could go through it. I don't believe it, personally. I think a preacher came up with that one day when he's doing a sermon. I've talked to every Jew I know. and they, No one's ever said no. You know, they said, I, you know, we've heard the story too. We don't know about it. But here's the other reason I don't believe it. Because then it would have been possible. I, I mean, if there was a gate and a camel could get down his knees and barely get through, that's possible. And can I tell you something? It's not possible for you to be saved on your own. It's not possible. But what is possible is if you'll be willing to give up everything, God can save you. It's not impossible for him. Now, here's the other thing that this rich young ruler did not hear. Watch the next thing Jesus said. Then Peter began to say to him, verse 28. Then Peter said, well, we've left all to follow you. We, we did it, Lord. Just want you to Remember. So Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children and lands for my sake and the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now, now, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. He could have left those two words off. <laughs> and in the age to come, eternal life you know what really impressed me about this rich young ruler whether it was Nicodemus or not he never heard he'd get a hundredfold back he did it for the right reason he never heard that part he said well I don't understand if you say he, he, he died he didn't have anything oh he had everything he had the body of Christ he had more brothers more sisters more land he had more joy more peace he had much more than he gave up This is good news. The gospel's good news. The word gospel means good news. That's what it means. Well, let me tell you something about good news. Good news is not good news unless you have bad news first. In other words, if you don't have bad news first, then it's just news. You got to have bad news to have good news. Here's the bad news of this message. Point one is the bad news. You, you can't be good enough. That's the bad news. That's the bad news of the gospel. The bad news of the gospel is you're not good enough. The good news is point three. Jesus still loves you. That's the good news. Point two is the bridge of how you get from the bad news to the good news. The bad news is you can't be good enough. The good news is Jesus can save you, but the way you get there is total commitment. Now, here's my question for you and then we're finished. What's the one thing? That's keeping you from total commitment. That's my question for you. Jesus said to this guy, You're going to have to be totally committed, but there's one thing that's stopping you. Okay, I'm asking you tonight, what's the one thing that stops you from being totally committed? Whether you're a believer or not a believer, what's the one thing that stops you from being totally committed? Is it possessions like it was with this guy? Is it success? Or is it something else? Is it a sin? Is there a sin that's a besetting sin for you that if you could overcome this one sin, that, that's, that, that's the thing that keeps you from being totally committed to God? Is it some sort of sexual sin? Is it pride? Is it is it lying, exaggerating? Is it your mouth? Is it is it a bitterness or unforgiveness or resentment? Uh, what What is it? Is it some sort of addiction? Is it a relationship? What's the one thing that's keeping you from being totally committed? Okay, listen to me. In your own strength, it's impossible to overcome it. But with God, it's possible. But you're going to have to be willing to give it up. I begged a friend of mine one time. I begged him to come to Christ. I got saved, most of you know, very radical salvation when I was 19 years old. Uh, Most of my friends were in drugs. I remember begging one of my friends to get saved. For months after I got saved, I, I begged him and begged him and begged him to get saved. Finally, one night he said to me, "I'm ready to accept Christ." I said, "That's great." He said, "Only one condition, though. I'm not changing my lifestyle." I looked him right in the eyes and I said, "Then you're going to go to hell if you're not willing to give up your life." He said, I'll, "He said, are you not going to pray with me? You're not going.'" To? He said, "I want to go to heaven." But I'm not going to change my life. I said, I'm not praying with you until you're willing to change. because you're, you're, and, and I want you to know something. You're going to go to hell. Listen to me carefully if you're in this service tonight. I love you enough to tell you the truth. If you're not willing to give it all up, you're not going to go to heaven. But if you will, you're going to get so much more back. I promise you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What's the one thing? What's your one thing? Will you give it up tonight? Will you take up your cross and follow Jesus? Will you come to him? In a moment, we're going to dismiss the service. When we dismiss, we're going to have leaders here at the altar. Listen, this is the most important thing we do. The reason we do it after the service is to help you. To be able to just come down with other people who are coming down. Not while everyone's watching you. But other people will be down here praying with people for all sorts of needs. And you can come and give your life to Jesus. This is the most important thing we do at Gateway Church. Is win people to Jesus. It's our most important thing. So please, if you're here in this service tonight. And you need to get saved. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to be totally committed to God. In just a moment, when we dismiss the service, we're going to have leaders all across this altar. I want you to just step out and come to one of these leaders. Other people will be down here. You won't be by yourself. Just come to one of the leaders before you leave and say, I need to give my life to God tonight. I'm tired of playing games. I'm ready to sell out. Total commitment tonight. If you're a believer and you know you're not sold out to God, don't leave this building without allowing us to pray with you. You understand there's power in prayer and Satan wants you to leave. Don't leave without allowing us to help you and minister to you tonight. You make up your mind. Make up your mind right now. I am going for prayer. I'm tired of playing games with God. I'm going to be totally committed from this point forward by God's grace. And some of you might say, I've tried it before. I've tried it before and I didn't do it. I'm telling you, it's impossible. It's impossible for you to do it, but it's possible if you'll come to God. Because he can give you the ability and the power. Lord, I pray that you would allow these truths to sink deeply in our hearts tonight. And I pray for every person that needs to come. I pray, Lord, in just a moment when we dismiss Holy Spirit that you will draw them. And I rebuke the enemy for holding them back. In Jesus' name, amen.